Well, good morning, church. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy what time, just the time of year, because July's almost over, and I, and I don't know about you, but even the walk to the car can sometimes be miserable, so I'm so happy uh, we're getting closer to the best time of year, you know, October, November, December, those, you know, hoodie weather, I think that's the best, you know, that's, that's where I like to live, but sadly here we are, but uh, I am so happy to be here this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into Leviticus 18 and 19 this morning, and it's, uh, if, you have been, if you've been with us, or if you haven't, here's uh, the rundown of what we've been going through lately, we've been going through the book of Leviticus, and uh, it's, it's an interesting one, um, very tedious, lots of different things that we're supposed to know. This was, uh, you know, this was the law that was given to the Israelites and the, the nation of Israel. And uh, it can be difficult to read, but I think, I think about any of the things I've experienced growing up in, in life, and I'm hoping if you're a parent, if you've been to school, if you work at a job where your coworkers sometimes aren't the brightest, you probably know that there are rules in life. And for every weird, oddly specific rule, there's probably a story on why that rule is there. And I looked this up because I know there's got to be some good stories. So I looked up uh, some of these goofy rules you'd find. Uh, and I looked up online just a, just a few to check this out. Uh, so a dorm. There was a, a rule that someone had posted online. There were some dorm rules when I went to college. And one of them was absolutely no inflatable pools inside the building. There's definitely a story that goes with that, why that is there. <laughs> I mean, oh, someone said, when I was looking for an apartment, found an apartment that said, pet friendly, but in all caps it said, except pet bears. Um, well, I'm, that's both impressive and concerning, I, I would understand. Also didn't know that was legal at all. But uh, one guy said about a secure hallway at his work, and they had to put a sign on one door. It said there's a hallway with two locked doors, and it said do not enter if you do not have the code to the other door because it will shut behind you and you will be stuck inside this secure hallway. And he, he put, because some idiot got stuck in there for five hours. And then he said, signed, said idiot. <laughs> so there's, you know, that stuff happens. I mean, I remember growing up, this happened for me, and middle school art class had to add a rule. Just because non-toxic says on the paint, do not consume the blue paint water. It does not taste like Gatorade. So, you know, there's, if you're a teacher, you've probably experienced it. If you're a parent, you be conscious and be aware that, you know, kids are, they're, yeah, they're just kids. Let's be honest. So we're going through Leviticus, and uh, I, I really, I am really believe that God does not call us to be blind sheep when we, he calls us to follow him. And I think he proves that again and again. So at the beginning of Leviticus 18, if you're following along, in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, he said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. 
Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Did you hear what that? He gave us his purpose between everything he's about to tell us and everything he's about to tell the nation of Israel. You must not do as they did in Egypt. Don't be like those people that I just rescued you from. And then he also added, and do not be like the people in Canaan where you're going. So don't be like these two people. Now, this is, a, this is an important context to what's going on. Because remember, in the book of Exodus, they were rescued from Egypt. And where they were slaves, they were oppressed, they were taken advantage of. Do you know how long they were slaves? 400 years, about 430 years now, I'm bad at math. I don't know how many generations that were where, you know, kids and parents and grandparents. But that's a lot. <laughs> and I don't know what that does to a person when you are born into this. Imagine a child being told when as soon as they could comprehend their own existence where they're saying, hey, you, know, you don't really ask them, what do you want to do when you grow up? Because you know what you're going to do when you grow up. You're going to be a slave like me and like your grandfather. You're going to make bricks. You're going to carry drinks. What does that do? What does that do to a people? You see, these are people, they're, they're in the wilderness, and they are without a, a purpose. They're without a country. They're basically a people without an identity. Who are we? I mean, God has to rewire these people and remind them who you are. You are no longer slaves. You are free. And this is partly why he gave them the book of Leviticus, because they're over here like, what do we do then? And God's like, well, let me remind you of your purpose. You're going to follow me, worship me, honor me, glorify me, and honor each other. He has to rebuild these people from the ground up. And sadly, they don't learn their lesson. Because if you read ahead in the books, you know, if you get to the book of Judges, you're going to find that over and over again, they keep turning their back on God. No matter how many times he reminds them of who he is. So look, we get to see the whole story. And, uh, and we're about to dive into Leviticus 18, and it's, it's mostly about sexual sin. And again, I think it all has a purpose, and it goes back to do not be like the Egyptians, do not be like the Canaanites. Okay? And that, whew, that makes it harder to read, because if that was the case, then all of this we're about to read was probably common. So in verse 6, and we'll go through this kind of, I mean, much of it we can look at today, but verse 6 it says, No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Verse 7, Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. Do not do that. And it keeps going. Do not have relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That dishonors you. Do not have relations with your daughter of your father's wife, born to your father. That's your sister. Do not have relations with your father's sister. She's your father's relative. Do not have relations with your father's sister or your mother's sister because she is your mother's relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have relations. She is your aunt. 
Do not have relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are her close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Do not approach a woman to have relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. All right, pause right there. Sex, sex, sex. Don't sacrifice your children as well. Okay. We're very clear, but I don't know if that doesn't follow the same theme unless you look at it in the context of do not do these things as these other people do. They're, they're all related. It says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have relations with an animal and defile, defile yourself with it. And a woman must not present herself to an animal to have relations with it. That is a perversion. That's a long list of things not to do. And most of it, I would say, I'm really thankful that this is mostly common today about all this stuff is not okay. But the root of this issue is still alive. The root of this issue is that we are a sinful people and we have this desire among all of us. And sexual immorality is still alive and well today. And it is, not only is it alive and well, now it's celebrated People take pride in it. I mean, these industries, the adult porn industry and the number of people involved in sex trafficking. I mean, the porn industry makes more money than every professional sport in company events, all of it combined. And they celebrate it. But this, is, this has always been a problem. The time of Jesus, when he walked, through a, walked around and taught in uh, the Roman Empire, sexual immorality was rampant. You know, the Roman times, they would build temples to all these Roman gods, including these gods of fertility and, and gods where they basically would allow people to come in and have anonymous relations with anyone at any time. It was just, it was treated as normal. And especially when it comes to the pagan cultures like Canaanites that they're going to or Egypt where they came out of, it was treated in a religious sense. Which is why they threw in, don't sacrifice your children to Molech, because one will lead to the other. You know, you'll be tempted, oh, oh, they do that and it looks harmless. No, don't do that. Because the next thing you know, you'll see them sacrificing their children, and you're like, oh, that looks fun. Does it? No, don't, don't do that either. You know, he, this is something God has to constantly remind them. In Deuteronomy 12, 31, He says, you must not worship the Lord your God the way other nations worship their gods. They do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. And God is warning them, hey, you're going to be lost at some point. And you're going to look around instead of looking up on what do I do? I want to worship God. How do I worship God? The guys down the road, they throw their children in the fire. Is that how we're supposed to do it? And God's supposed to say, no. God is saying, no, that is not how you worship me. Don't look there to understand how to worship me. They don't know what they're doing. You see, God knows that sin is infectious. 
I think that I think we should we could probably all agree that sin is infectious. It infects everything. It gets in and it and it spreads. You know, I think that is pretty common. But what people don't understand is whatever sin infects, it eventually destroys, and it will kill. Whatever sin infects, it kills. And God knows the hearts of his people. He knows that they are lost. He knows they're lost. They're lacking this identity. They don't, they don't know who they are. And so he's trying to wire them up and, get, and fix them, but he knows that they are easily tempted. They easily sway, and they will give in to temptation. Which is why I think it's so funny when it, he started off the book of Leviticus so much about here's the offerings, here's the sacrifices. This cleanses your sin. This cleanses this sin. This is what you need to do when you're caught in sin. You know, and I, but it, it doesn't say if. I don't know if you ever looked at it. I don't think it ever said if you sin. No, it's more like when you sin, do this. Know that life has to pay for your sin. Something has to die. But God still made it public record, this is not okay. This is the sins you're not supposed to do. But again, he continues in verse 24, Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native born and the aliens living among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were born were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must be cut off from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came, and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Again, whatever sin infects, it kills. How much of a warning does God have to give them to see, hey, this, they are going, they are doomed. They're going to be gone. You're going to drive them out. I'm going to drive them out. They are not going to win. Don't be like them. You see, this is, I think this is how Satan worm, worms his way into people. He tempts them. He shows them. He uses the people around us. He uses things around us to show. Show that this is common. This is normal. And then he plays a really amazing trick where he tells everybody, and it's harmless. This won't hurt you. This won't hurt your relationships. This won't hurt your work. This won't hurt your passion. Oh, this won't hurt your walk with God. You see, anything outside of what God gave as a gift to humanity, which was, you know, sexuality, that was a gift he gave us. And he, but he had a purpose for it. Number one, it was to strengthen the bond between husband and wife. And number two, it was to make life. Anything outside that, that was not as God intended. Yet Satan twists, he lies, and he destroys, and he convinces everybody that it's safe not and we're still reminded today Colossians 3 verse 5 and 6 says put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality impurity lust and evil desires and greed which is idolatry 
Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. How much more warning does Israel need to never let your sin become common? Don't let this become common. Don't let this become normal. This is a sign. And Satan, this is how Satan works. He says, no, it's normal. You can do this. No. This here's the deal. This is something that good that God gave humanity. But everything that God creates, Satan will attempt to pervert. Satan will pervert. Don't let our sin become common. As we move on to Leviticus 19, and this is this is all again is just connected. Now, this is mine says various laws. Some of your versions may say moral laws, and it, it's they're all tied in together because this is the difference between everyone else and the people of God. Because here's the deal: God starts off very clear. And again, telling us why this is said. So verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Right off the bat, be holy. That's the purpose of this, be holy. Well, first of all, I'm going to break this down. What does holy mean? If you were to look this up, and I looked up the definition, um, it said, to consecrate oneself for religious purposes. To consecrate. And to consecrate means to set aside, to set apart. Uh, I think of it like how a mechanic or a carpenter or someone who works on stuff would set apart, set out this tool for this purpose. You do not use a hammer on screws. You know, that, that's a common sense. <laughs> that won't work well. You'll break something. It doesn't work. In the same way, God's saying, you are set apart for a different purpose. You guys are not meant to be like everybody else. Now, a lot of this stuff, as we're going to dive into Leviticus 19, is, again, pretty common. This is stuff we've heard before. Some of this stuff is in uh, the Ten Commandments. It's normal. But some of this stuff is a little bit more specific. But again, come back to the 18. Don't do and don't be like the Egyptians. Don't do and be like the Canaanites. So verse 3, it says, Each of you must respect his mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. That's right up there in the Ten Commandments. We know that. Do not turn to idols or make gods of cast of metal for yourselves. All right, we know that. Aaron made that mistake. He built him, you know, a calf and, you know, made Moses real mad. He broke the tablets, that stuff, yeah, we know that. When you sacrifice the fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the next day you sacrifice it, or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burnt up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because he has desecrated what is holy to the Lord. That person must be cut off from his people. Well, now I think God's just looking out for our health, you know. Don't eat three-day-old three food that's been sitting out. Like, that's just... Again, these people, you know, they haven't been thinking. They've been out in the wilderness. They're kind of lost. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. 
I am the Lord your God. Well, now he's just he's being compassionate. Hey, think of the, the less fortunate. That's great. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. He wants us to be honest. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. And do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. All right, what kind of a monster trips blind people? Like that's, yeah, that's terrible. Obviously, I'd do that as a youth pastor, and I would make that into a game, but not like an actual blind person. I'd blindfold (laughs) teenagers and, you know, have them navigate an obstacle course. Absolutely. But no. Come on, people. Do (laughs) Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your fair, fair, your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. And do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke them frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I mean... He's getting down into the heart of it, too. And he's telling you, hey, where's your heart at? Because are you looking at your neighbor trying to take advantage? Are you dishonest? Do you take advantage of people for, some, for their condition? Are you willing to use your position for, to better yourself? Don't, don't show favoritism. Don't endanger other people. You're not even supposed to hate each other. Don't, hate, don't even hold grudges. Stop holding grudges. He's, he's getting a little difficult. Then he gets a little, uh, little interesting. He says, keep my decrees. Verse 19, do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Uh, there's got to be a purpose. If a man sleeps with a woman who is a slave girl, promised to another man, but has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because she had not not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. And with the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed, and his sin will be forgiven. So this is, don't take advantage of your slaves. Don't treat them, don't mistreat them. Again, coming back to that, or there will be due punishment. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its tree as its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are not to consider it, or for three years you are to consider it forbidden, and it must not be eaten. In the fourth year, its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the, four, the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. Well, that's just, that's just really good farming. And if you, are, you meet someone who grows fruit trees, yeah, don't touch it for three years. It's got to grow. Do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. And do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute, or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. 
Are you seeing? There's some of this stuff is weird today. You know, trimming up her beards, man, we are guilty. I did, I did that last week, but I don't have much to begin with, so it's all right. Uh, but he's getting into the hey, how you treat each other and how you treat yourself matter, because how you treat yourself and how you treat others should not be like they treat them themselves. So God has to make distinctions on Israel and tell them, hey, you have to be different. And you're going to look different too. I think God really wants them to stand out. When you go and travel to other places, they're going to see you and be like, oh, I know exactly who those people are. He wants them to be different and even look different. You know, all these things. And then we get to some of the stuff like, what's the deal with the hair? What's the deal with uh, tattoos? Why, why, what's the deal with your clothing? Why does that matter? Uh, Paul Copan wrote in his book, Is God a Moral Monster? And he's talking about, hey, is the Old Testament God moral? Because this stuff, some of this stuff is a little overkill. And he did some research, and he said... Even the, the act of trimming their hair, the, when men, men trim their hair, it was a Canaanite practice of offering one's hair to departed spirits to appease them. He's basically saying, no, that was God's warning. Hey, don't dabble in what they do. Don't dabble in that. That's wrong. That's a temptation that will lead you further away from me. You know, that whole cutting yourself and tattoos God addresses this a second time in Leviticus 21 when he talks about the priests. Hey, the priests are going to have special rules too. 21, Leviticus 21.5 says, Priests must not shave their heads or shave the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. The cutting of their bodies, that's mentioned. And we see a specific example later in, in a really cool section in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Do you remember the story where Elijah was a prophet and then he was facing off against the prophets of Baal? And he said to them, he, he said, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on your name, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given, and, given to them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. So you had Elijah the prophet made an altar to sacrifice a bull. They made a altar to sacrifice a bull and they were going to have a showdown which god is greater and they said but we're not going to light the fire you call on your god he'll light your fire i'll call on my god he'll light my fire and it says at noon elijah began to taunt them he said shout louder surely he is a god perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Did you hear that, though? They slashed themselves till their blood flowed, as was their custom. Now, the story ends really cool. Baal doesn't answer them, but God answers Elijah. And even after God says, hey, pour some water on mine, make it hard to light. And still God... And then all the prophets of Baal ran. You know, it's a great story. You can read the rest of it later. It's great. But their blood, they made their blood flow. It was a way that they worshipped. 
And then we get into the tattoos, and this is, I did some research on this because I wanted to know, is there a difference? And I, th- and I, I read something really cool. It was most likely that most of Israel had tattoos because they were slaves. These are all people who had been rescued from slavery, and they were probably marked to show that they were slaves in Egypt and they were owned. And God wants to make it very clear, you're not slaves anymore. That's not who you are. You don't identify as slaves. You have been made free. And also in the pagan world, in the Canaanite sense, they would mark themselves to show their loyalty to their gods. It were all symbols of, of servitude of some way. But God wants them to know that they are his and no one else's. And he ends, God ends chapter 19, reminding them who he was and who he is. Observe my Sabbaths, verse 30, it says, Observe my Sabbaths and my reverence for my sanctuary. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. Rise in the presence of the aged and show respect for the elderly and revere your God. When an alien lives with you in your land, you must not mistreat them. If an alien living you will, must be treated as one of your native-born, love him as yourself, as for you were aliens in Egypt. And do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales, honest weights, and an honest ephah, which is like a, a bucket, and an honest hen, which is about a gallon. And uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Keep all my decrees and my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. He has to remind them, hey, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. Remember the miracles you witnessed. You witnessed the firstborns of all Egypt dead, but yours were safe. You walked out through an ocean, through the sea, with walls of water on either side, but the land you walked on was dry. That was me. I'm that God. Still that God. He still has to give them a reminder of who he is. But this all comes back to, I brought you out of Egypt, and you're not to be like them. You saw what I did to them. We destroyed them. They followed you, and I stopped them. That was the constant reminder. He's giving them all these decrees, and he's telling them all this, because they are meant to be set apart. Leviticus 20, verse 26 jumping ahead but he says this he says you are meant you are to be holy to me because i the lord am holy and i have set you apart from the nations to be my own god's saying hey of all the people in the world you are to be holy you are to be set apart and that means being holy like i am holy you see it all comes back to this problem of sin and this is, why, this is why God gave them the law. And this is all part of the law. Out of, I mean, I don't know how many commands we read through. I didn't count. But there's 600 different commands in the law in the first few books of the Old Testament where he says, this is how you live. This is what you do. You want to be my people, you abide by this. You follow this. And it had a purpose. There's a lot of different purpose. And I didn't go through all of them. But here's, here's three we can see here. Number one. The law reveals that Israel is to be different and distinct from all other nations. They're supposed to be different. You're even supposed to look different, Israel. Don't let anyone be confused. Oh, you're Canaanite. No, God does not want that. 
back in Exodus verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 5, it says, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. He said, you will be special to me. Number two, we can see this, especially reading through Leviticus 19, how some of this stuff is, has to do with the heart. How you treat others, how you hold grudges. Yeah, not supposed to do that. Well, that just reveals how sinful mankind is and how all are guilty. Like, we're not all going to, you know, not hate somebody, even for a little bit. Romans 3, 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, but rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. Like, this should show that, hey, yes, we are all guilty of something. The matter is, to what degree? And lastly, this should really show that we all can't meet God's standard of holiness. We can't meet God's standard of holiness because he doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hate anyone. He never sins. Romans 3.23, For all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin, but God's holy, and he doesn't. You see, these, all these laws and these commands, they had a purpose. And the, well, I mean, one purpose is, yes, don't be like the rest of the people of the world. Be set apart. Be different. But there's also this idea of God's holy. You need to strive to be holy like our Lord. But I think there's, a, there's something else going on because I read the end of the book and I know what's coming. <laughs> and if you follow the story, if you know the story of Israel, here's what's happening. They are in between... Places. Remember I said earlier they are without an identity? Well, do you know where God's calling them to go? They're going to Canaan, where there are wickedness, and God says, I'm going to drive them out. But he says, this is a man flowing of milk and honey, and it's a wonderful place to live. But uh, at the same time, you have these people who maybe have this victim mentality where it's like, we've been slaves for 400 years. We're not warriors. We're not soldiers. But God's going to turn them into that. God's going to make them warriors. God's going to make them soldiers. No, God's going to make them conquerors because they're going to go and drive out these wicked people. You see, I think God has to rewire them. He has to install some discipline in them, and he's starting early to get them on track because he's having these people go to war. They're going to war. They don't know it yet. Luckily, we do. We read the book. We know what's coming next. They're going to war, and that's a war on sin itself. God is sick of this wickedness among these people, and he's like, they need to go, and I want you to thrive. And here's the deal. That war, it's a war of holiness versus sin. And sadly, it's still raging today. I got one more text to read, and I'll ask the worship team to come up on stage and as I get ready to close out. But I, don't, I hope you guys know it's, it's pretty obvious to see that the enemy has its claws in the world. That, that the enemy has control on so much because you can see that sin is common. You can see the sexual immorality everywhere. You turn on the TV, 
you turn on anything, whether it's a movie or anything, even you even open up your phone and you find an ad on any social media and you'll see that it's obvious. They use it to sell because they know it sells. You see, here's the deal is all of these were, were there for a purpose. And when Israel failed, not if, but when, they had to go and make their sacrifices. They had to make their sacrifices. They had to offer up their, their goats, their lambs, their bulls. And if they couldn't do any of that, then they said, all right, or you could offer up some pigeons, you know. God was graceful. But that grace became flesh through Christ. You see, you see, I think sin became so much. It became so dangerous, so tempting, and so normal that God said, I, I'm going to give you one last chance and one hope after all. And he sent Christ to be that last sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 says, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings as sin offerings according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified and the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days declares the Lord I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds and then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You see, there's a law. There's, a, there's this law, but God has fulfilled it through Christ. He said, that's the last sacrifice. But the war on sin, the sin versus holiness is still raging today, and he's calling us to fight. Sadly, we won't win. But he's won. He won it. He beat it. The war has been won. John 14, 23. Jesus said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do you see the connection? I'm the Lord your God. Follow my decrees. Christ says, if you love me, you'll follow me. You see, this isn't, isn't some guilt trip Jesus is making for his disciples and anyone who comes with them. No, this is Jesus saying, hey, if you love me, you'd follow me because here is where you're saved. I provide protection. I provide salvation. In the same way, God said, hey, Israel, sin, all this stuff, that's the enemy you see, whatever sin infects, God said, I'm going to destroy. There is a battlefield, and this is what it looks like. You got God on one side and his people behind him. And on the other side is sin. 
sin, Satan, the enemy, and everything that sin infects. And God's saying, that's doomed. That's gone. It's going to be destroyed. Do not wander to that side. Don't be mistaken for the enemy. He says, here is safe. Over there is destruction. And God in his grace sent Christ. And luckily Christ said, well, what about those who are lost? Christ said, I'll block it out. I'll block out the destruction and I will bring them back to the Father. They will follow me back to the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't don't let the enemy win. Don't let sin infect because it will kill. So maybe you're on the wrong side of the battlefield today. Maybe you haven't been following God. Maybe you've got something in you and you know it's killing you. Maybe you've never that made that decision to, and you've never thought of it like, I'm doomed. Because here's the deal. Jesus is the only thing that can save you. Destruction is coming on sin and everything sin infects. Okay, that's a promise God made. I read to the end of the book. I see that God wins. Like that is... That's everything. He said, hey, I'm going to win every battle. And I'm going to take anyone who's on my side with me home. Don't be mistaken for the enemy. Maybe you've never followed Jesus before. Maybe you've never made that decision. You can make that decision today. Fill out a connect card. Find someone and talk about it. Talk to me. I'd love to reach out to us we'd love to or maybe you've got a battle you are losing and you need some help with that well that is exactly what the church is for we'd love to pray with you this morning if that's what you need we'd love to meet with you we'd love to do something because we're all fighting the same fight let's follow the one who's going to win I'm going to say a word of prayer and if you need If you want to make a decision or if you need prayer this morning, I pray you come as we sing our next song. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. Lord, thank you so much for your decrees and your laws, Lord. And I pray that as we read how you loved and guided Israel, Lord, I pray we see that you are still, you still love and you're guiding people today. Lord, thank you so much for your son and thank you so much for the saving power that his sacrifice had for us. Lord, we love you. And I pray, Lord, I pray we follow you because we know you win. You win in the end. And I pray we're on your side and we pray we're behind you when you do. Lord, we can't wait to be home with you. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen.